It's the week 14 edition of the Horse and Round podcast on DenverBroncos.com. I'm Andrew Mason of DenverBroncos.com and Orange and Blue 760. You can hear me every weekday, 10 to noon, with Ryan Edwards and Steve Atwater on 1st and 10 at 10. Alongside me, Andy Lindahl of Columbus and Lindahl, 7 to 10 a.m. Monday through Friday on Orange and Blue 760. Andy, it's good to see you again. Another week, my friend, another week. Wish we were talking about a win for a change, something different, something to change it up. But alas, we're looking at a Broncos team again, trying to pick up the pieces and find something different. After an eighth straight loss, now looking ahead to the New York Jets coming in. And I was talking with Steve and Ryan on air about this on Wednesday. It started with a conversation I had with Ring of Famer Steve Atwater in the elevator on our way up to the studio for our show. It's about kind of the perception of seasons. If the Broncos had won one more game, Hmm. I don't think the perception of the season would be appreciably different at 4-8 versus 3-9. and If the Jets had lost one more more game and they were at 4-8 instead of 5-7, and I don't think the perception of the season would be appreciably different from their end. They'd still be regarded as an overachieving team. And I bring that up because if that situation was in place, the teams would have the same record, but completely different outlooks and completely different perceptions from their fans and the public beyond that of how the season has gone so far. The Jets are obviously perceived to have overachieved The Broncos have come in well below expectations, and even John Elway alluded to it on Tuesday when he appeared with Dave Logan on Orange and Blue 760, talking about that, yeah, this season has been embarrassing and and how this losing streak has happened, particularly with the margin of defeats in a lot of these games. Yeah, but it tells you what the bar is here in Broncos country, and the bar is very high, and they are the most important thing in town. Um, We certainly enjoy a good baseball playoff run. And we would like to see the Avalanche turn it around and Mm -hmm. the Nuggets continue to be, or the Nuggets get back to their playoff ways and maybe even threatening for a championship appearance. But the reality is what moves the sports needle here in Denver, Colorado is um, the Denver Broncos. That's all there is to it. It's about the Broncos. It's Broncos 24-7. We have orange and blue 760. Because the fan base craves it. You and I cannot, Mm -hmm. I mean, not only from inside the Denver metro area, the 303-720 area code, but you and I do a show on there. I'm 7 to 10 a.m., as you said, with Tyler Columbus, former Bronco. I mean, Miami, it it is amazing in the south, in the southeast, how many fan bases, how many fans, I mean, we get, how we hear from California. No shock in the Midwest. They're the big dog in the Midwest. But I mean, this isn't. This is a global fan base. I would actually say of the winning on Sunday in Miami. My estimate would have would be about thirty five to forty percent of the fans at Sun Life Stadium or at Hard Rock Stadium were Broncos fans. Now, it looked even more than that because the the Dolphins have an alternate orange jersey, so some of the orange in the stands were people busting out their Jarvis Landry orange jerseys. But most of that orange was Bronco orange. You looked at the far side of the stadium, and that was Broncos country. Well, the far side of the stadium is you saw it on television. I would tell you this. I'm not shocked. And for this reason, 
A, a lot of winning is part of it. That's mm-hmm. how the Cowboys and Steelers created the fan bases that they have from back in the day in the 49ers. And some of that's also the Dolphins have struggled for a long time because that didn't used to be the case in Miami. 20 years ago, that was one of the better home field advantages in football, and that was a, that was a stadium where you didn't have 20, 25, 30,000 fans rooting for the other team, but that is the case now for a lot of games that the, the Dolphins have, particularly against teams from up north and teams with winning traditions like the Broncos and the Patriots, et cetera. So let me ask you this. I mean, I'm not surprised, though, aside from the winning, mm-hmm. when Tim Tebow and Peyton Manning have both called this home mm-hmm. in their professional careers, Yes, that's where I think you earned a lot of those fans. Now, granted, mm-hmm. Tim Tebow's time was brief here, but I still very much remember going on the last Miami trip and seeing the craze it was just to get a glimpse of Tim Tebow like oh, he was yes. Elvis or something as we got off the buses. So, and the same thing used to happen with Peyton Manning. Everybody just wanted a glimpse of Peyton Manning as we used to go into the team hotel. I used to wonder how in the heck did people even figure out where we are staying, but people figured it out. Um, so I'm not surprised when you have two guys from SEC schools like that. Uh, you know, you're going to earn some Southern fans. But uh, regardless, you know, like you said, to get back to your original point about the perception, I don't know that we thought this was a Super Bowl contender once again as we open the season. And you and I, I, I'm not trying to pat anybody on the back here. I, I've never, I'm not, I did not see this season going the way it is going. I just did not, did not foresee it, did not predict it. Um, I thought, I thought we could be looking at if some bumps in the road were encountered, we could be looking at a seven-win team. Okay, because and, of the schedule. And admittedly, I thought worst-case scenario. I tend to have some predictions. I kind of have a best-case scenario, a middle-of-the-road scenario. In a worst-case scenario. And I thought worst-case scenario after 12 games, if everything had gone wrong, you were maybe looking at 4-8. and eight. But then I thought, okay, you could get some momentum going down the backstretch. And I certainly didn't think it was going to be an eight-game losing streak. No. With that at all. No. That I, is, that, that's what's shocking. And I certainly didn't think you'd be talking about an eight-game losing streak in which, and this is something that kind of blows my mind, in those eight games, Andy... You have only had one game where you've had the ball in the fourth quarter and been within one score. Because the Raiders game, you got it down to one score, but you never had the ball when you were within one score. Yeah, it's been... It's... And the Chiefs game in Kansas City, Kansas City had the ball start the fourth quarter, got a field goal, and put it back to two scores. It's been a brutal year. I don't know what else to say. John Elway, to quote him, said he's embarrassed by it. On Orange yeah. Blue 760. Um, so it's what it is. You know, sometimes it happens with new coaching staffs. And you never know how a new coach is going to work out. Mm-hmm. And John Elway, for those that missed it, made it very clear on Orange and Blue 760 and on DenverBroncos.com when he talked to Broncos TV. There'll be no changes before the end of the year. Good. I think it, at least it puts a stop to those questions on a week-to-week basis well, after games. And I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm not real sure. We had a chance to talk to Armando Salguero and Amani Toomer on the show this week. Armand, they both had the same message. You have to figure out the quarterback before you can truly judge Vance Joseph. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying there may... I think we all know some kind of change is coming. John Elway pretty much said as much on his interview. So I'm not going to be ignorant to that. But I do. I would say this for Broncos country. You are a loyal fan base. You're a passionate fan base. And I I love it. I grew up in it. I love it. I get it. 
But the constant call for change sometimes. Everybody wants everything flipped year to year, and that's really how you get yourself in trouble. That's not often how you fix problems. It's the head on a platter mentality. Again, it's like, okay, this is bad. People are looking for something, someone to blame. And that's not really how you solve problems. I mean, I look at Pittsburgh, for instance. You know, they didn't junk everything after they went 6-10 and 10 right. in 03. And they got their quarterback in the following draft. They got Ben Roethlisberger, and all of a sudden that kind of switched things around. They go 15-1 and one the following year. And now, obviously, I'm not saying the Broncos are going to turn around and go 15-1 and one the next year. But I think you look at good teams over time, good franchises over time, and they're able to minimize the damage. It's like a forest fire. How do you get that thing under control? How do you keep it from spreading? The Broncos historically have done an amazing job of keeping that disaster in one season from spreading to the next year. And the evidence of that is the fact that you have to go all the way back to 1971-72 to see the last time this team had consecutive losing seasons. They've done a great job of making sure that a bad season was confined to that year and getting things right in a hurry. Going all the way back even to John Ralston. John Elway also has a history of figuring it out. Mm-hmm. I know that, again, everybody's mad at everybody now, and that's that's the environment we live in, and on Twitter you're allowed to express your anger at the moment that you feel it. So uh, I get that. But understand this. I mean, John Elway has gone from when he took over the franchise back in 2011. It felt like, I think you and I even talked about it, it felt like this is going to be a very long hill to climb. Yes. Well, lo and behold, by 2013 you're playing in a Super Bowl, and in 2012 some thought you should have made your first appearance in the Super Bowl under John Elway as GM. Um, so he figured that out. Then the Super Bowl in 2013 doesn't go so well. And with the quarterback on the backside of his peak, certainly sliding down the mountain, unfortunately, in Peyton Manning, he turns it from an offensive into a defensive team. He's figured out a plan. Now, I'm sure he had a plan for this year, and clearly that plan hasn't worked out so well right now. I mean, it is what it is. You're 3-9. and nine. Um, But to me, I also, just like in his playing career, would not bet against this guy figuring it out for next year. And maybe figuring it out is just getting back to the playoffs. I mean, that's where we're at in Broncos country. That's what you have to understand. But I do think, again, as frustrating as this year has been, and obviously there's no more bigger frustration than those that are inside this building trying to make it work, um, Andrew, I I just think everybody, it just is, it is what it is, like you said, right out the season, figure out what it looks like in January. You know, it starts with this Jets game. You know, this Jets game is going to be interesting. Um, I, I unfortunately was, I was surprised the wrong way with how the offense looked on Sunday. I just, I guess with Trevor coming back and what I saw at the end of the Oakland game, I kind of had a higher bar for what we were going to see, and it just didn't play out on the field. So I hope they can somehow reverse that trend against the Jets. It, the road games, and in particular the 11 o'clock road games this year, have not been kind to this team. Yeah, and it's interesting because prior to this season, the early road games, Eastern time zone, 11 a.m. Mountain Time kickoffs, they hadn't been a problem for the Broncos in recent years. But this year, 
you know, they lose to Buffalo 26-16. They lose to Philadelphia 51-23. And then they lose to Miami the way they did. It's just been a disaster. And I think some of that is just simply because the, the team is struggling. I think it's less about the start time and I think more about just where the team is right now. Yeah, I honestly... How do you feel? I mean, Vance is a guy that liked to go out two days and try to get acclimated. There certainly was solid logic behind why mm-hmm. he wanted to go early. He had a plan, and he wanted to get a more of a robust practice in on Saturday, as we've laid out. He didn't. He, he's taken an approach this year where Saturdays haven't been quite the uh, dial it down day. It's been more of a ramp it up day than what we've seen in you know the past from Broncos coaches. And now they've gone back to having Friday. Remember, Friday was kind of the walkthrough practice, and now they've gone back to actually having a more traditional practice on Fridays. So the the point being, I you know, to me, I respect those that want you to get out there, get your body clock right. I just feel like the time change is what it is. And, you know, I think it's going to be curious to see, you know, how Vance would approach this with 11 o'clock starts next year. I don't know how many of them are going to be on the docket. You do play the AFC North. Um, I don't know which. You got Baltimore and Cincinnati. Yep. So there'll be two. There'll be two early starts there. Do you know the division? Is it the AFC, the NFC division that you're back to? It's the NFC West. So you're going to the West. So it's obviously, at, and you're going at Arizona and at San Francisco. So they won't be. My point being, you're not going to have to deal with as many eleven o'clock starts then next year. Would be my guess. Those will be more in that two two thirty traditional time frame. You aren't going to be worried about heading east, so this isn't going to be as big of a problem for travel plans anyway. I wouldn't suspect, but um, yeah, wow, because you're, because you're looking at um, you know, Kansas City could be uh, an early game. Although, are you going back to Miami? Because you're going to finish. You play. I don't know. You, if, it's the AFC East is a road game. Your, your okay. corresponding team, and it's whoever is last place in the AFC East. So you're which isn't that currently if the Broncos <laughs> if the Broncos stay in last place in the AFC West, you're playing the last place team in the AFC East, which right now would be, um, well, Miami and the Jets split their games this year. So yeah. what are the divi- what are their division records right now? I think they're both five and eight, aren't they? Now that you mentioned, well, they're it. both five and seven, okay. and they split their head to head. The Jets are the better division, or two and three. Miami's one and two in the division. So yeah, right now at the at this moment, you're going back to Miami next year for a game. That'll be interesting. That would bring its own storylines, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. I guess you know. Adam, so you're looking at four potential early afternoon games. Adam Gase clearly took some, and at least in his mind, relieved some frustration with the Broncos franchise there while we were in Miami. But uh, all right, I'm just one of those. It's fine. If you want to do it, that's fine. It's big boy football. You're allowed to do whatever you want to. This isn't Little Leagues. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it works out for you in the future. I don't know that it was the best decision, but, hey, you did what you did. So it's fine. Yeah, but you're the Chiefs sidekick. called that little fat Tebow jump pass with Don Terry Poe. Last year, and that didn't really linger. I think this will be different, but we'll see. I don't know. You know what, Andrew? It's so tough to tell because uh, you're right. Everybody right after the Chiefs game with the Fat Tebow pass, mm-hmm. they were fired up about it. Shane Ray amongst the top of them. I talked to Chris Harris right before the Chiefs game, as I do every week, the second Chiefs game, or the first Chiefs game this year anyway. And, uh, yeah, he had said, honestly, I guess I forgot about it till you brought it up to me. So you're I think right. it's different. Anger fades quickly. I think it's different players, different perspectives, different people, different perspectives. That's all it is. Everyone handles that differently. I'm sure some guys are going to remember that. It's going to be foremost in their minds. And I think there'll be other guys 
who'll be like, what? What was that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Hey, I'm just grinning. I'm just going to sit here and grin. I hope you're in position to say, all right, remember this? That's what I'm hoping for. But that, you know what? Maybe that is just that fan side of you. You're like, okay, okay. The Good to see you on the schedule next year. The fans year. will remember. So I'm sure they will. So you're gonna have to you, you'll have to prepare for the Miami trip, obviously. If um, it happens. Yeah. If it, you're right. I get yeah, you're right. It could There's be a lot the Jets of football. And it could be the Bills. And we'll have to see if Tyrod Taylor plays much. He's got this knee injury I, and mm-hmm. varying reports as to the degree of how bad it is. But if Tyrod Taylor's not playing and uh, Mr. Peterman's back in, Jay Peterman's back in playing, Elaine's boss at quarterback. Uh, the Bills may not win another game this You're year. You're saying the Peterman so. reality reality tour is going to go back to the repository? Yeah. With yeah. the muffin stumps? It, yes. It, yes. <laughs> and we might be, you may be enjoying Anchor Bar wings again. I just hope, you know what, if it ends up being the Bills, please no late season trips there. That's all we ask, right? <laughs> no late season trips to the Bills and no nighttime games. Hey, what do you think about the division? Because I think it's funny, it's really funny how everybody, I think everybody thought the Chargers didn't have a chance, and I wasn't real sure about them. I thought they were a wild card. But Everyone I thought this wasn't. was a great division at the start of the year. Yeah. It got off to, hey, the first quarter of the season, everybody but the Chargers looked like they were going to be contenders. I mean, I, and now I, it's completely flipped. I thought, you know, hey, first couple weeks in the season, I thought, hey, you could have three playoff teams out of this division. <laughs> no. You're lucky to get one. And they may be they may be the stinker playoff team with like the seven and nine record the way this thing's going. Yeah, but I, you know what? I think the Chargers will find a way to get at least get to eight and eight. Hey, I'd worry and, about the Chargers if I were the NFL. And I think they could get in the playoffs and get on a run because the it's a it's an offense that can be balanced. They can beat you on the ground. They can beat you in the air. And you've got the two pass rushers. Yeah, the and, defense is not fun when they get going. And we saw with the Broncos twice this year what having both of those guys working off the edge can do, what kind of havoc Ingram and Bosa can wreak together. They can cause problems for any team that they face. You know, they had a tough loss in New England that was really kind of self-inflicted. Remember, you get Travis Benjamin kind of doubling back and making the play that led to a safety on a punt return. Oh, yeah. Once the Chargers stopped immolating themselves with mistakes... They started winning games. What do you make of the Chiefs? I mean, if Bronco fans think they're upset, Chiefs fans are just in a, I don't know what it is. It's like panic. It's mourning. It's anger. I've seen more Chief memes about how things were good seven weeks ago than anything else this week. That's a sky is falling fan base right now. Well, is there any fixing? I'll tell you what. I don't like the walk. I don't like the look. And I frankly don't like the defense for Kansas City. The, I don't know what the, what the offense gets done. They got the offense right against the Jets last week. And then offense they, yeah. had its best game in two months. And then the defense fell apart. Matt Nagy went to play calling. And all of a sudden, the offense had swagger back. It had its big play touch back. That was the Chiefs offense from early in the season. We saw it again. And then... The defense couldn't hold back anything that the Jets were doing. So do you think the Jets come in here after a big win like that, and you've done the east to west. It certainly is not fun to do the west to east, but the east to west, is that as big a deal? It's basically going to be a 4 o'clock game New York time. I mean, the only letdown I think you can maybe try to hope for if you're a Bronco fan from the Jets this week is one because they had a big win last week and they're Mm -hmm. feeling a little saucy. Feeling a little good about themselves? Yeah, yeah. a little fat and happy. Maybe enjoyed the soup too much. <laughs> I 
Maybe. That's what you're hoping. <laughs> I know. It's been that kind of year. I don't know what you're, you're hoping that, on. but at the same time, what's gotten them to this point is little is a little bit of energy and a little bit of attitude. A little bit of a chip on our shoulder of peop of the guys in that locker room basically saying, Hey, nobody expects anything of us, so we're gonna prove them wrong. And could a win over the Chiefs change that? I don't know, because you know, they they beat the Jaguars at home. That turned out to be a pretty good win. They uh, they had that that win over the Bills at home. They stomped them when the Bills looked like I think the Bills came in that game five and two, and they clobbered them on that thir- on Thursday night football. I don't necessarily think that that game is going to leave them fat and happy. Okay, you may be right. I I don't know what to expect anymore, Andrew. I really don't. I hope Broncos country shows up ready to cheer. I do know this, Josh McCown. It's impressive how he's played within himself. And also, when you give Josh McCown some protection and you give him a couple of targets and you give him some options, he can make some plays. This is kind of what he did in Chicago back in 2013. Uh, not Maybe not putting up as dynamic numbers as he was back then, but certainly he's as efficient as he was in Chicago in that Mark Tressman offense. You give him some tools, he's capable of getting it done for you. See, that's funny to me. Have we ever seen Josh McCown and Ryan Fitzpatrick in the same room? And I asked that in Jess because they obviously mm-hmm. shared the same football field a couple weeks ago when the Jets played the Bucks. But they're kind of the same guy. They don't one sh- good year that makes you think, "Hey, let's go grab that guy. He can maybe turn it around, be at least our veteran steward until we get the young guy ready." And they don't share they, the same barber, right? Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I think that's the beard. That's McCown. When McCown has to all of a sudden play Fitzpatrick, he goes to the beard. That's what I'm saying. But they're both guys that can't seem to put back-to-back years together to keep him a job. Fair? Fair. I mean, it's crazy. McCown looks like the guy that you want every other year. One of the, the gifts of Josh McCown is that he can learn an offense very quickly. And he's also very good at helping teammates learn an offense. And that's, that's helped keep him around the league, quite frankly. It'll be fascinating to see what he in what direction he goes when his playing career is done because he seems to fit the makeup of somebody that if he wanted to go into coaching could be an excellent coach. Well, is that the kind of guy that you look to add to any franchise then, or do you think he's kind of done? I mean, has he found a home in New York? Do you think he has a bunch of suitors again? Every time I think he's going to have a nice free agent. Pool I think to his home from. is. I think his home is Charlotte now. When he, he played a couple of years for the Panthers, and I think that's where he ended up settling, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of crazy. Didn't the Jets have like four young quarterbacks years ago, and now it's just Josh McCown? How many are still They on the still road? have Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg. Okay. But how can you sit Josh McCown? He's leading the league oh, I'm not saying in games should. that are – he's leading the league in games of a 100-plus passer rating. He's tied with uh, uh, Drew Brees. Oh, well, there's some company for you. That's sunk in a little late for me. Yeah, somebody else, and I, I'd have to look it up and say who, but to find out who. But think about that. He's tied for the league lead in starts with a 100-plus passer rating. He's been the very epitome of efficient. And even when the Jets have lost, they've been in games. They've been in it against Carolina. And actually... They beat Carolina if Carolina doesn't get two touchdowns off of defensive special team or special teams returns. They're in it with the Patriots at home. They're 
in it until the end with the Falcons. I mean, it's not the beating Kansas City wasn't a fluke because they're playing all these good teams tough. Of you know, of course they're going to beat some teams that are at or near the top of their division because they've already you know they'd beaten the Jaguars before. They beat the Bills when they were five and two, and they kept pushing teams like Buffalo and or, or pardon me, teams like New England and Carolina and Atlanta. Again, it's not a fluke what they're doing. I mean, the thing that probably frustrates them more than anything is going down to Tampa Bay and losing to the Bucks when Brian Fitzpatrick was starting. Beard and all. They, I mean, the, the Jets could be 6-6 six and six right now and right there in the midst of the wild card race if they hadn't lost that game in Tampa Bay. That's the one that's gnawing at them. How bad did the Jets want Tom Brady to retire? Really, this whole AFC East we've seen this year... Just get out of the division, please, so the rest of us have a shot. <laughs> that's what you got to be thinking. And, and, hey, that's, you know, if you're a Broncos fan, you haven't had to deal with that sort of thing in the AFC West. Well, honestly, when you had Peyton Manning the last yeah. five or six years, that's how the rest of the division felt. Will you mm-hmm. please just retire so we don't have to deal with But it was only anymore? four years. Oh, but it felt like forever, right? But four Tom, years in the NFL anymore is a I mean, long Tom time. Tom Brady has been the Patriots quarterback for all but one season, the 08 season when he was hurt, all but one of the last 17 seasons. I mean, think about that. You're a kid. You're graduated from high school. You're 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 freshman, maybe even a sophomore in college. And let's say you're a Bills fan, and you're a lifelong Bills fan, or a lifelong Dolphins fan, or a Jets fan, and you've had to deal with Tom Brady kicking your team's tail year after year after year, and that's all you know. As a football fan. Well, you know, that could be said for a lot of teams in the AFC West when John Elway was rolling around the division and he had to take on the likes of Dave Craig and uh, Steve DeBerg for a short time out there in Kansas City. And Mark matter Wilson. of fact, Dave Craig played for both the Seahawks and the Chiefs at one point. I was watching an old Broncos Raiders game on YouTube because some people like post old games. Not that I'm advocating that, but sometimes I watch it. And uh, Jeff Jager had a game-winning field goal against the Broncos in overtime. Yeah, I am glad that's a game you found. Thanks for that, Andrew. We couldn't find a better game? Couldn't find a better game out there somehow? It's what was there. Wasn't Hostetler the quarterback during his run a little bit, too? Because he came here after, or he came to Oakland after the Giants. He went to the Raiders in 93. Hostetler was the quarterback for those back-to-back games one at the end of the regular season in week 18, because that was the year of the double bye, 1993, and then the wild card round. Remember, the Raiders beat the Broncos in overtime in week 18 at the Coliseum. To secure home field advantage. Which meant the, the Broncos had to go right back to the Raiders, to back to L.A. the next week, and lost. Oh, I remember. Wade yeah. Phillips era there. First year of the Wade Phillips era. 93, I want to say. And actually, if you include a, if you include the playoff loss and if you include a loss to Tampa Bay the day after Christmas, the week before, and then the four-game losing streak to start the following season, it was a seven-game losing streak over two seasons. Hey, by the way, just to get away from these stats that are not making me feel any better, I don't know why you have them right at your ready here today. Well, I remember but... the Tampa Bay loss because I was in Tampa then. And Oh, I remember me, it too. The Bucks get, believe me, as a Bucks fan in 1993, that was a big game for them even listen, though they were going 5 and 11 that year that was a it was a big deal to beat the broncos listen, you got to understand that here's the deal oh i know it was cuz i had just gotten a john elway jersey fresh for christmas yeah 
and you guys rolling here and beat us, and the Elway jersey did not come out of the closet for quite some time. Who was the Bucks quarterback asked. that day? Wasn't he? I don't even know. Gannon? Who knows? I don't know. Who? Craig Erickson. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I just remember Glenn Milburn fumbling a punt, and I was like, all right. Well, all right. it was actually one of the – when Milburn fumbled, it was one of those games I remember because the Bucks were our team for which a lot of things went wrong back then. And I remember when Milburn fumbled, and I thought, maybe this is just – the one odd day where things are going right out of in comparison to the 10 where things go wrong. This is the one where things are going right. And it was. Yeah. Good for you. Hey, glad you got your day against my squad. Hey, real quickly, (laughs) we'll leave you on this. Some good news for Steve Atwater fans of which I'm the biggest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, talking to Armando Salguero, who covers the Broncos and, you know, former ESPN talent guy's been around the league a long time. And most importantly, a hall of fame voter, he let us know he will be putting his vote behind Steve Atwater for the Hall of Fame. He sees him as a Hall of Fame player. Of course, couldn't guarantee he'd be this year, but he said he's in the Steve Atwater camp, so hopefully uh, there'll be some momentum there. There is some building momentum, I suspect, for Steve Atwater, and, and in general for safeties. I think maybe the Kenny Easley induction out of the Seniors Committee last year is getting everybody to revisit safeties and to understand, yeah, okay, it's good that we've got Ed Reed, Troy Palomalu coming down the coming down the pipe. We've got uh Brian Dawkins has already been a finalist, but there's also some work to do on the back end of it. And Atwater's and like John Lynch is a perennial finalist. And I think John Lynch is going to get in. But Steve Atwater kind of you know preceded John Lynch. Chronological order. And John Lynch will tell you that Steve Atwater was one of the guys he tried to model his play after. Yeah, and it's funny because you and I have talked about it before, talking to both Lynch and Dawkins, two fine safeties we both would love to see enshrined in Canton. They both will tell you they love Steve's game. Both guys told me face-to-face I couldn't play like him. He was so big. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like him. And that's, again, why I say that guy was a game-changer at the position, and those are the type of players that need to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care what stats you have. He may not have the stats to whatever you're looking for. Bottom line is, once he showed up, everybody wanted one of him. Everybody needed a player like him. And those are the guys, in my mind, that are Hall of Famers. So I hope it happens this year. And we'll get in more to the Hall of Fame as well. We'll Actually, we're going to be uh, talking with Gary Myers coming up here on the podcast. We had him on 1st and 10 at 10 Thursday morning. Gary Myers also member of the Hall of Fame Selection Committee. So give that a listen. Andy, thanks always for joining me. We'll talk to you next week on the Horse and Around podcast. And now here's our conversation with Gary Myers of the New York Daily News. Let's uh, welcome to the show. Very excited to bring on Gary Myers. Uh, find him on Twitter at Gary Myers NYD. And of course, he writes for the New York Daily News, has a new book out, My First Coach, Inspiring Stories of NFL Quarterbacks and Their Dads. Gary, welcome to First and 10 at 10, Orange and Blue 760 with Steve Atwater, Ryan Edwards, and Andrew Mason. How are you, man? Hey, Gary. Gary. Hey, Steve. I'm doing great. Uh, happy holidays to you and everybody in Denver. Hey, thank you. Same, same to you, my friend. As a Hall of Fame voter, uh, I, I'm sure you're aware <laughs> that Steve Atwater <laughs> is uh, once again uh, in the semifinalist. And, and of course, we... You know, I I, I, I understand. Didn't, I didn't know that. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 
Well, that happen? And we were just talking about, you know, I'm, I'm going to steal this, Mace. We, we were just talking about, <laughs> I said I wouldn't. Well, I, I, I said he, I wouldn't. Did he semifinalist because it was clear with the Jets? That's what I, <laughs> we were just saying. Would it help his cause? Would it help his cause a little bit if he had if, if we used a little bit of his time with the Jets? Absolutely. All the exposure he got in New York on on that really good team in 1999. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I you know it's, it's really a shame that Vinny got hurt that year, Steve, because. Mm. Um, Oh man, yeah. be really good. Oh yeah, when Vinny got hurt, uh, I saw Parcells the 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 uh, the look on his face and his his whole demeanor it was like, oh, it's over. I know, I know. He had Bill had loaded up that year. Isn't that the year? Did Roman Pfeiffer come in that year yep. too? And some other guy. Yep. Roman Pfeiffer yeah. came in. Um, let me see, who was the big tight end? Green, Eric Green. Oh, um, Green, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but so, with this uh, verdict went feeling, down, it was I, over. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know. Are you feeling confident? Yeah, I feel great. I feel great. Uh, now, uh, you know, I'm not as confident as I felt when I first was put on the list. You know, as, as the years have gone by, I think uh, that's waned a little bit. Uh, like, man, is it going to happen? And, you know, after after seven years, I thought it was more than seven years, actually. But it was after seven years, uh, you know, I'm not as confident as I was at the, the first year. Well, <laughs> I can tell you is that uh, you know it's a tough process and the competition is so strong that it sometimes it just takes time and um, I mean the best example is Harry Carson it took him 13 years wow. and uh, he got so discouraged that he had actually written to the Hall of Fame asking that his name be taken off the ballot because he felt it was uh, causing too much anxiety for his family yeah, like he was getting toyed with each year. <laughs> yeah. So, and he and he got in, and now, you know, Harry signs every one of his autographs, you know, HOF uh, number 53, you know. Right. So, um, I would just tell you to hang in there. Um, I was very helpful, I think, in getting Terrell Davison last year, so I like the Denver guys. Awesome, um, awesome. And I'll, and I'll do my best for you. Thank you. What's your favorite restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> no, see, uh, my my vote is not like uh, I don't use it to barter anything. I, I just vote with my heart and my conscience, and the guys who I think deserve to get in there, you know, get my vote. So um, yeah, but I, I appreciate the offer, and I'll, I'll think of my favorite. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another Denver, but, yeah, another Denver guy who uh, he didn't make it through the contributors subcommittee, but it was. Pat Bowen, but it looks like he may get through at some point. What do you think of his chances over the next couple of years, potentially? Yeah, no, I, I think Pat has a real good chance of uh, of getting one, you know, depending on the year when there's two or there's one. Um, uh, this year it's only one contributor, and it's Bobby Beathard. Um, I, I think the, the next three guys that get in, and I'm not on that committee, mm-hmm. um, but I think the next three guys that get in, in, in no particular order, will be Pat Bowen, uh, George Young, and, and Gil Brandt. I think those are the next three guys in the queue. Uh, next year there will be two. And um, I believe two of those three you know, will get in. Uh, I'd have a better feel for it if I was on that committee to know how the discussions have gone in the past. Um, but because I'm not on that committee, I, I don't have any – you know, real great insight into 
um, how close each one of them has come the last two years, other than I do know those are the next three guys up. And unless somebody comes out of left field, um, those will be the next three that get in. Two, two of them uh, in the class of 2019 and the other one in the class of 2020. For Andrew Mason, I'm Andy Lindahl. This has been Horse and Round here on DenverBroncos.com. Talk to you next week.